11.03, so let's get into the message this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that we uh, get to hear from your voice and that there are actually ways where we can learn to do that. Um, now I pray that through the word this morning you would speak to our hearts and we open ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we are in week number two of a six-week series here at Hope where we're kicking off the year and we're looking at what we call our vision of the place that God is calling Hope Covenant to be, um, the, 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 the central things, the things that are central to us as a church. These are the things that really shape how we do what we do here at Hope. And so uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you've seen our, our statement here that we'll put up on the screen that Hope is a place where imperfect people... Let's read this together. Ready? Hope is a place where imperfect people belong, God moves, lives change, and love acts. Any imperfect people here besides me this morning? All right. You belong. The rest of you? No, I'm just kidding. All right. <clears throat> so this week, and last week, we started by looking at imperfect people, um, and this week and next week, we're going to look at how imperfect people belong as well. And where we get this is not out of thin air. We get this from looking at the life of Jesus and how he treated the people around him. It's not just some slogan. Jesus painted vivid illustrations, vivid pictures by the things he did in his life of what it looks like to be a place and a people and a person that welcomes people no matter what is going on in your life. And this week's uh, theme is going to focus in on imperfect people belong, even rebel hearts. And to get to that, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. We're going to focus on what's my favorite story um, of all the parables, the story of the prodigal son. So I'll read it, and then what we're going to do is go back through it slowly. So I'll read the whole thing. Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country and there squandered his property on wild living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him out to the fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. <laughs> but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and let's get the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate, for this son of mine 
was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, we'll stop right there. This is such an amazing story that really what we need is two weeks, because this is a story of a father and two sons. We're just going to get to the younger son this week, but next week we'll look at the older son. And the older son, he's a real, um, he actually gets real upset. He's kind of an angsty guy. So we're going to look at that next week. And this morning, I want to walk through this story. And what I want to do is imagine it from the eyes of the first century Jewish folks that Jesus first told this story to. Uh, like, how would they have heard this story as Jesus was telling them? They, they, they have a different mindset Uh, a different culture. We're over in the Middle East. Uh, There's different worldview taking place, and then add to it that this was 2,000 years ago. So sometimes we hear these stories and read them, and right off the cuff, I sort of blow past maybe some of the things that would help me go a little deeper into the story. So what I want to do this morning is to bring and highlight some of those pieces to try and deepen our understanding of what Jesus was saying here with this story. So if we start right at the beginning, There's a father, there's two sons. We don't know why, but for some reason, at some point, the younger son is unhappy with his life, and at some point in his dissatisfaction with the life he's living, he comes to his dad and says, I want to have my inheritance and leave home now. Now, it's really important that we understand what this request actually means, okay? Today, we might just kind of see this as a kid. He's out trying to launch out on his own, But this is not the story of a young man who is out to appropriately assert his independence and explore the world. It's not that kind of story. A guy named Ken Bailey was a missionary and a New Testament scholar. He lived in the Middle East for over 40 years. Uh, He died in the last year or two at the age of 85. But he wrote wonderful stuff about the parables of Jesus. Here's what he writes about this story. For 15 years, Bailey says, I have been asking people from all walks of life, from Morocco to India, from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implication of a son's request for his inheritance while his father is still living. I mean, just for a sec here, you know, it'd be one thing in our culture even today, it'd be one thing to go to your parents and say, hey, when you die, what do I get in the will, right? Would that be tacky? It would be my house, like... not, not probably okay. So that's, that's at least tacky. But um, it would be even worse if I said, and can I just have it right now, right? Okay, so yeah, not a great idea. Don't try this one. Um, Bailey says, for 15 years I've been asking people this question, and the answer has almost always been the same. He'll ask them, has anyone ever made such a request in your village? And they say, oh, never. He says, well, well, could anyone ever make such a request? And they tell him, impossible. He presses it a bit. He says, well, if anyone ever did, what would happen? They say, uh, his father would, would uh, beat him, of course. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, and then he asks this question. He says, why? And this is where the cultural difference really helps us enter into the story. Why? This request, they tell him, means he wants his father to die. So, so what we have in this story, right away, you've got what they call sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and religious people all in the same audience. Jesus is telling them this story, and right away they all would have gone, whoa, 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 this just got real. 
This is offensive. The son comes to his father, says, I want what's coming to me when you die, but I don't want to wait that long to get it. I want to live as if you were already dead right now. You know, friends, to choose sin, to choose to live in a, a distant country, so to speak, is in effect to say to the father, I wish to live as if you were dead and if you had, as if you had no claim on me or my life. And, you know, I could get real indignant about this disrespectful younger son until I think about how I've done this. Um, how I do this still from time to time. I mean, there, there are times in my life where I get stubborn, and I want to live like I'm fatherless, I wander off, I stop trusting my father God, and when I do that and have done that, I am choosing to live in a distant country. Now, in some ways, the most mind-blowing part of this story is what comes next. Right? The son comes to the father says, hey, I want my inheritance, I want to leave, and the father doesn't do what all of Jesus' listeners would expect any normal father to do. The father does not beat his son. The father doesn't banish his son. The father actually takes what rightfully belongs to him, to him the father, uh, what's going to sustain him through his old age, and instead the father freely gives it to his son. Now, to Jesus' listeners... This is completely crazy. Not only does uh, the father not have to do this, like no normal father would ever do such a thing. I mean, the story's already a little crazy, right? Like, first of all, you would have never heard of a son making such a disrespectful demand, but then they would never dream of a father responding this way. Like, the father gives it to him and allows him to leave. Like, this is part of what's amazing about this story. And it would have blown the minds of the people listening to Jesus tell this story. See, here, the father does what no father has ever done. Here we discover a love of another kind. Work with me here for a sec. Here is God, a father who gives freedom to his children even when that freedom will cause him immense pain. Like he knows that he's going to give us freedom or we're going to break his heart with it, but he does it anyway. And he does it because he longs to be in, in a love relationship with free children. And so God gives you and I, he gives us freedom to choose. Like God doesn't make us into robots you know, and contrary to what a lot of people think, and some actually teach, God's, God's not trying to, He's not interested in controlling you. Um, you know, sometimes people say, hey, well, listen, Doug, why did God make it so that there was sin and, you know, like we could choose something other than Him? Why didn't He just make it so there was one choice? Wouldn't that just make, you know, things a little easier? Uh, we wouldn't have sinned and blown it and messed the world up and hurt people. And it, and it sounds pretty good at first, at first blush until we remember that we were made for love. And love, to be love, has to be chosen. It's not love if it's not chosen. So God risks it all by allowing us to choose him or not. And it's mind-blowing to think about it. <clears throat> 
He's all-powerful, right? He's God, but he makes himself vulnerable to us. See, he wants relationship, not just compliance. And so we get to choose, don't we? We get to choose. And the younger son chooses. He defies the father. He's ungrateful. I want to live as if you were dead, and he moves to a distant country. The next step of his journey is inevitable. Look back at verse 13. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had, traveled to a distant country, and there squandered his property in wild living. Verse 14, next, he, when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him out to the fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. So yet... <clears throat> On each of our life's journeys, at one time or another, we too come to a crossroad of pain, don't we? Especially if we live in a distant country long enough, friends, and sooner or later, we're going to hit pain. And in his story, the son's alone, he's desperate, he has no hope. And the question was, hey kid, what are you going to do when you hit the wall? What are you going to do when you hit the wall? Like, how's he going to respond to the pain? And see, this is a major crossroad in our spiritual journey, too. What will we do when we encounter pain? See, the kid here, he, um, he hits this wall of pain, and here's something key. <laughs> he no longer has the means to avoid facing it, right? No more money, no more parties, no more distractions. In order to survive, it says he's going to have to take care of pigs. Again, think about this, first century Jewish folks that Jesus is telling the story to, pigs are unclean animals, ritually, religiously, uh, to eat them or have contact with them is forbidden to any devout Jewish person, but he's going to be a pig herder, which is a despised job in that culture, and it would bring shame on him if anyone were to find out about it. I mean, just stop for a second and think about this part of the story. Like, how crazy is this? Just a few verses earlier, he's got this father that loves him, and he rejects him. And not long later, now he's attaching, attaching himself. He, he hires himself out to another person, but this person's not even feeding him. The text says, nobody gave him anything. Now, Middle Eastern cultures are also really big on hospitality. It's a huge deal, really an obligation to those folks. Uh, in that culture, if somebody asks you for help, you're pretty much on the hook to pony up. So a polite way in Middle Eastern culture to get rid of an unwanted person was to assign them to a job that you knew they wouldn't accept. And probably that's what went on here, right? Uh, he comes to this guy, and the dude's like, oh, yeah, oh my, um, well, yeah, you need help, huh? Um, okay, you can, be, you can be a pig herder, right? Knowing full well that an Israelite would not take that job. But this kid is so desperate, he takes it. And then in verse 17, in his pain, Jesus said, he came to his senses. He finally acknowledged reality. And pain will do that, especially if you're a dude, right? Uh, this happens to me all the time. And listen, pain is terrible. It really stinks. But pain 
can bring us to our senses, especially if we're like kids who've wandered off. Now listen, there are some people in this room, um, and we have areas of our life that God wants to do some work in us. Maybe for you, you know the pain of feeling unfulfilled in your life. Or maybe for you, you feel resentful and bitter toward the people around you, and you just wonder why you hurt so bad. Uh, or, or for some of you, you didn't do something wrong or wander off. The pain was done to you. Um, arrows that were thrown at you, words that pierced your heart, wounds that you've not yet been able to face. That's painful stuff. Or maybe you're in pain right now because there's guilt or sin that's never really been dealt with in your life. Maybe you're in a painful season in your marriage. It, it just hurts and you just want to call it off. Like the pain can come from so many different places. And actually that list there, I just thought back through my life and those were different seasons of pain for me. So I'm not just throwing stuff out there. This is stuff I've gone through. Actually, it was almost eight years ago when my um, marriage imploded. Uh, I was uh, pastoring. I was leading a team that uh, we were going to be planting a church in the area here. And my marriage, right before we launched, um, my marriage came crashing down. So I stepped out of church ministry. We temporarily moved back home to Minnesota. We spent, um, some of you know my story, but uh, we spent uh, five months and about $20,000 in intensive counseling to try to save our marriage and family. Um, uh, near the end of those five months, she dropped out of the counseling process and soon after made it clear that she was done and, and I was crushed. Uh, so we moved back to Arizona and that next year, I tried to fight for our marriage and do everything I could do to look for reconciliation or a chance to begin again, but she had made up her mind there was no changing it. We separated, began the proceedings, and about a year later, we divorced. Those of you that don't know that about my story, spoiler alert, that wasn't Heidi and I. <laughs> um, yeah, Heidi and I have been married two years, uh, our anniversaries on, on Tuesday, so that was not a story about her and I. Yes, hands, the big claps to Heidi, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, that story, when people first hear it, doesn't have the ending they're hoping for out of a pastor, right? Like, hey, wait, wait, he got divorced, but then they worked it out, right? Nope. <laughs> nope, sorry if that's the ending that you were... Uh, hoping for. I hoped for that for a long, long time, uh, but it's real life. I got divorced. It was horrible. I never, ever, ever thought it would happen, but it did. Um, and now this long later, I have this unexpected gift of Heidi in my life, which is wonderful, but when you're going through the mix and the pain of that, um, those of you that have been through similar situations, um, you know the pain, right? You know the pain of divorce. There's insane layers of stuff to be sorted through. And if you're like me, eventually the anger and the blaming and the rage subsides, and then the pain, if we let it, the pain can actually lead us to face things that we would not have otherwise faced. So for you, for me, Whatever pain it is that we're facing, I think there's a choice that's in front of us right now. 
I look at just this whole area of pain and I look at my life, there's kind of two roads that I've um, approached pain, just two different ways, two roads actually, and one road, okay, one road that I've chosen, um, it's an easy road, right? It's wide, it's, I'm really good at this road, I'm well practiced at it, it's, it's the road of avoidance. <laughs> uh, I can avoid things really well. Avoidance looks like this, the pain comes and we mask the pain. Or we distract ourselves by getting little momentary happiness fixes. Uh, maybe we, we, we um, watch too much TV to help us escape. Or, or we, we go shopping and spend money to distract ourselves. Or we jump on the treadmill of work or even ministry. And we focus on achieving or serving as a way to not think about our pain. I'm really good at that one. Like, I'm a recovering type A. Okay, a recovering type triple A. All right, so... Uh, um, but I'm, I was good at that one. Um, see, we can get addicted to all kinds of activities and busyness as a way to numb pain. And that's one way. That's one way. It's avoidance. I'm really good at that stuff. I'm a well-versed professional when it comes to pain avoidance. Problem is, it doesn't really work. <laughs> um, but it's one way, that avoidance road. Um, so we can choose that or, or we have another way that we can choose, another road. It's narrow. It's not well-traveled. It's one where we actually courageously face the pain in our life. And we can acknowledge, like, I feel pain, and I know ultimately it's over whatever it is for you. It's over my sin, or, or it's over this inner emptiness inside of me, or it's coming from these wounds that I haven't been willing or able to address. So, yeah, we avoid it, or we face it. And in the story of the prodigal son, this young man faces the most severe pain that he ever has, and it says he comes to his senses, like he faces up to the truth. And I hate this part, but I don't think that he would have done it without pain. <laughs> so Jesus says, back in the story here, he comes to his senses, and he says, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. So he decides he's going to go home. So then he composes a little speech. You ever done this before? You got a really important conversation coming up or a job interview or, or, or you know, you got to explain something to your boss or, you know, explain something to your spouse. Um, and so you're a little nervous. And so you compose a little speech ahead of time about what you're going to say. Anybody besides me ever do that? Is this just my own weirdness? Okay, a couple of us. Okay, good. Um, so look what he says. Verse 18. I will get up and go to my father, and then he composes this speech, <clears throat> and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Stop for a second. That's actually really good. <laughs> That's repentance. Um, but then he adds, <clears throat> treat me like one of your hired hands. Ah. So, I mean, he's in pain. He decides he's going to go back. But check this out. He doesn't envision going back and being fully at home with his father. Like, he doesn't think that's possible. So he's going to go home on the hired servant plan, right? He plans to go home as a hired servant. And so as a hired servant, uh, you know, he'd be home, but it'd be different than being a son. He's probably thinking I can maybe even partially redeem myself, maybe pay my father back a little bit. But as a hired servant... That's way different than being a son. Um, way different. 
As a hired servant, he will not know the intimacy of a son with a father. He'll be an employee, not a family member. You know, I wonder for how many of us here today, if we were totally honest, um, we would say, I get that. Yep, I understand that one. I understand um, I try to do things for God. Like, I get the whole hired servant deal. Um, I get that. I, I don't, though, I don't really know what it would be like to live as a beloved son or daughter. I don't know God like that as a father. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, I've heard the words before, but honestly, we would say, I don't know him like that. And if that resonates with you at all, um, I want to invite you to travel through the rest of this story. Just put yourself into this story as we travel with this younger son to the embrace of his father. So he decides he's going to go back. And can you imagine it? Like, I slow this whole thing down instead of just reading through. I, what did it look like? How long did this take? And I just picture what's going on in the text. And, and, and here is this desperate, starving kid. He's making this long journey back to his village. There ain't no camel to ride. He's walking from a distant country. He's utterly crushed by his defeat. And he knows. <laughs> he knows what to expect. He thinks about the moment he gets home, every step of that journey. He knows when I get home, there's going to be hostility. There's going to be open humiliation. He knows it. And he knows it's not just going to come from his father and his father's household, but from the entire village. And so as this plays out, I just, I just picture and imagine the boy. He reaches the outskirts of the village, and who knows who saw him first. Maybe there were some people working in fields or some kids playing, and somebody saw him coming into town and, and said, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> they would have all known the story, so they said, hey, 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 he's back. <laughs> the prodigal son is returning, and he's so scrawny you can hardly recognize him. And no, 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 no surprise, he's lost everything that belonged to his father. Now, there's something we need to know about that piece as well. In their culture, what that meant is that lands that had belonged to their people ended up going to the Gentiles. Now, land for the people of Israel was such a precious thing to Israelites that they actually had a ceremony. And if you lost property or a great deal of money or land to the Gentiles, they had a ceremony in which you would be cut off from the village and community. And the son, he would know all about this ceremony. And Jesus' listeners, they knew about that ceremony. Well, the kid, he would have known to expect it. And, of course, the father knows. The father knows that if his son ever comes home, that as soon as he comes into this village on the way home, he will be mocked and taunted and maybe even physically abused by this village that he is insulted with his behavior. And so I just picture... He's entering into the village, and the people are gathering, right? The son is trudging up the street. He's exhausted. He is anxious. And the people are gathering for this climactic moment of the story. And then Jesus says, while he was still far off, the father saw him and was filled with with compassion. And then, friends, one of the most incredible phrases in all of Scripture, 
Jesus says this about the Father, about your Father. And he ran. <laughs> he ran. I mean, a Mideast nobleman with flowing robes never ran. It was, a, it was a violation of dignity in those days. Aristotle, a Greek philosopher from the same era, he, he wrote, he actually wrote, great men never run. <clears throat> great men are run too. So, okay, get it, right? So I guess great men walk slowly like, you know, John Wayne or <laughs> Pastor Paul. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. yeah you think about it. Yeah, it's, eh, maybe it's true. CEOs, kings, popes, you never see people like that running. People run to them. So I'll, I guess running's done by children, by people who are desperate or needy or too eager or afraid. But do you see Jesus is saying this is the Father heart of God. The Father's heart is so full, he forgets everything. He forgets his dignity, he forgets his robes, he forgets everybody that's watching, and he only sees this starving, aching, exhausted figure of his son that he had given up for dead. But now his son is coming back home, and the Father takes off running. And again, I bet right away there were no words. <laughs> I bet right away the father didn't say anything at all. He probably had all this just racing through his head, seeing, seeing this face in front of him that was the face of his little boy at one time, and now it's so stained by sin and defeat and fatigue that it's hardly recognizable. Maybe he thinks back to the child that he had raised and fed and clothed and watched over, and then he left and he thought, I'd never see him again, but here he is. And here he is, this body is in front of him that's, that's nothing more than skin and bones. He's just wasted and he throws his arms around the body of his son that he thought was lost to him and he can't let it go. And verse 20 says that he <clears throat> starts kissing his son. And the way that it is said here, the way that Jesus, the word that Jesus actually uses in the Greek can be translated that he kisses him over and over, like he can't help himself. He can't stop. And so, who knows, like for how long? There were no words. There were, there were just tears and embraces and kisses that say what words could never say. And that's the Father heart of God for you. Wherever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, that's the heart of God, our Father, for you. <laughs> See, especially those of you that followed Jesus for a while, listen, God doesn't want you to live as his hired servant. He wants you as his beloved son or daughter, not his hired servant. And so if you'll just let him, he longs to run to you and throw his arms around you to kiss you and not let you go. That's the Father heart of God that Jesus came to proclaim. Finally, the Son speaks. And I want you to look real closely at what the Son says and how it's a little different than the first draft of his little speech. Verse 21, the Son says to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Period. See how that one's different there than the first draft, right? When he actually speaks, there's no mention of this hired servant plan that he's rehearsing. Dad, I want to be your hired servant. 
Now, some people think, well, the father must have just kind of cut him off and interrupted him. That could be. Like, the text doesn't say. Most people kind of lean that way. But I start thinking about it. I think it might be something else. I think that the son is just shattered by this unimaginable expression of love from his father. Like, on his long walk home, every step of the way, he's imagining, well, what if this happens, or this happens, or this happens, right? He sketched out all these scenarios in his head except for one. Right? He was ready, right? Stern punishment, public ridicule. He contemplated the possibility that he would get banished from home forever and that he'd have to leave and that he deserved it. I think he thought through every scenario, but he never prepared himself for this. Like, he never imagined the possibility that his father would be the one to run to him. I think in that moment, the lights went on. The son finally saw the father as if for the first time, like, oh, Whoa, 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 I now, now I get it. Maybe until that moment, the son had no picture of his father's heart toward him. And now he realizes it wasn't the money. It wasn't about compliance. It wasn't about earning something. This is the relationship between father and son that he'd nearly destroyed. It was the heart of his father that he'd nearly broken. And it's the same for you and me. Like, we can't earn our way back. Like, it's not our job to dictate the terms or devise some kind of plan or think we can pay God back for what we have done. See, for the son, his homecoming and friends for our homecoming, if it were to happen at all, would have to be a sheer gift, just grace. And so I think with the father's arms wrapped around him, he realizes he doesn't want to be away from home anymore. He gives up his little plan to save himself, the last of his pride, and surrenders to the love of the Father. Real quick, the end of this story here. Um, the Father wants the whole village to know. <laughs> Keep your hands off my son. And that his son is fully restored. So he has the servants dress the boy in his finest robe, the way they would dress a king. And they put a ring on his finger. That's a sign of his authority to do family business still. Then they put shoes on his feet. That's the mark of a free man, not a slave. And then he says, let's start the party. <laughs> That's the father heart of God for you, for me, for all of humankind. Friends, you have been more than noticed. You have been pursued from farther than space and longer than time. And our Father had you in his heart since the foundation of this world. That's why Jesus came for you. And he loves us with an unconditional love. A love that says you belong no matter what. <laughs> See, imperfect people belong, even rebel hearts. That's true of our God and the heart of Jesus, and that's true of us here at Hope as well. Ryan, will you and the team come? In this story, my friends, Jesus is saying, <laughs> that's the Father heart of God for you. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, however bad it seems to you, it does not matter. The Father longs more than anything. If you'll just let him, uh, if you'll just turn, he longs to run to you and embrace you and never let you go. And so I believe the call of the Father to all of us today is this. Every one of us, come home. Come home.
And that's going to mean different things to each of us here, but come home. For some of us, um, maybe you've taken some steps away already from the Father. There's a pattern of sin going on in your life that you need to acknowledge and confess and put a stop to before you go any farther. Uh, maybe you have enormous guilt or, or, or tremendous hurt from, from what you've done. If that's you, Jesus invites you to come home. Come home. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you're in great pain because of the things done to you. Jesus invites you to come home to the Father, to let him heal you. There's probably a number of us that have been following Jesus for a while that are here this morning and maybe, maybe you've been living for a while like a hired servant and you long to know the embrace from God, that you could be a son or a daughter that's beloved, and you just need to tell him that. This morning can be your time to come home. Or maybe you need to give your life to Christ today for the first time. Jesus invites you to the embrace of this loving Father. You come as you are. You can come home. So as we move into this time of worshiping together, can sing along with the songs or maybe you have some business uh, to do with God and where it is that he is inviting you to come home. So Jesus, we give you, as we sing these next uh, couple of songs or so, we give you our hearts, our attention this time. We don't want to rush out of here and miss this opportunity, this invitation from your heart to come home to the love of the Father. So, Holy Spirit, be strong and speak in this room as we surrender our lives and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name.